Support for this podcast comes from ODC Dance. The world-class company returns for Dance Downtown, March 27th through the 31st, with two electrifying programs and five works, springing from cartoon, the news, and human connection. ODC.dance slash downtown. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. Here's the conundrum we face here in the Bay Area. Our housing needs are regional. They're about all the units that exist in these nine Bay Area counties. But housing is approved at the more granular local level of cities. And since this isn't New York City, we have dozens of jurisdictions, each pursuing their own goals. It's just about the worst way to build housing you could imagine, and our crisis reflects that. But lawmakers have tried to find a way to unify this ungainly system. It's called the Regional Housing Needs Assessment, and we'll be talking about this wonky but hugely important process today. And then we'll hear about a dance performance created by artists inside and outside San Quentin. That's all next on Forum after this news. This is Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. On today's show, we're going to talk about quite possibly the most important challenge faced by everyone in the state, housing and affordability. The rich, the poor, and the unhoused are all staring into the abyss that is California's housing crisis. But to do that, we need to deconstruct a key element of all city housing plans. It's called RENA. And to get to RENA, we got to go back to the last urban crises. Back in 1969, the state created a process to determine how much and what kind of housing should be built in every California region. It was an imperfect process that only occurred every eight years, and it was gamed by rich cities to shirk having to build low-cost and subsidized housing. But even with many places sandbagging the numbers, most cities simply ignored the lowballed recommendations and built even less housing, which is one reason we got to the crisis that we're in today. 2018, the legislature finally got fed up and revised the law that determined how the Regional Housing Needs Assessment, or RENA, as housing nerds call it, is calculated. That's led to larger goals for many cities and a raft of lawsuits from places who don't want to allow more housing. But could change finally be in the air? Could RENA finally serve the purpose it was created for, which is to spread the burden of building housing out from core cities and exurban sprawl towns? That's the big question, and we have two experts here with us to help us figure out why RENA has been so hard to implement and whether it can be a lever for helping to solve this housing crisis at the regional level where it needs to be solved. We're joined by Berkeley Mayor Jesse Adeguin, who is also the current head of the Association of Bay Area Governments, or as the kids call it, ABAG, which plays a big role in RENA, as we'll hear. Welcome to the show, Mayor. Good morning, Alexis. We also have J.K. Deneen, housing reporter for the San Francisco Chronicle, which is either the best or the worst job there. Thank you for joining us as well. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Um, So, Mayor, let's start with you. Can you walk us through the steps of this process, the interactions between the state and ABAG and then the cities? Sure. Well, as you noted, RENA is a state-mandated process where local governments must allocate housing need to cities and counties every eight years. And so the state based on population projections, 
um, of future population growth and housing need gives each region in, this, in the state of California a number. And so for the San Francisco Bay Area last year, they gave us a number of 441,000 units that local governments have to plan for over the next eight years. And so our job at the Association of Bay Area Governments, which is the agency I chair, um, is to determine a methodology for how to assign those 441,000 units to all the 101 cities and towns in nine Bay Area counties. And so we actually launched this process two years ago, and we convened a committee of local government officials, business leaders, equity advocates, um, environmental advocates, and other stakeholders to develop a methodology that we think will more equitably distribute housing in our region. And this methodology um, actually particularly prioritizes locating housing in what are called high resource areas, which are uh, communities where there are you know, good access to jobs and schools transit. And, and transit. And oftentimes these high resource areas are some of the most exclusive parts of our region. Um, part of my city in Berkeley is a high resource area. Parts of Marin are a high resource area. And so this is very different from the last RENA process where the focus was actually concentrating housing in, in around um, major transit centers and on transit hubs. We think that it's critical that we more equitably distribute housing throughout the region, that we address the jobs housing imbalance that we know has exacerbated our housing crisis in this region. And so once those local governments get their arena numbers and we're- Wait, can I stop you for one uh, second, Mayor? I just want to ask, how does this allotment of 441,000 units, how does it compare to the last arena cycle? It's a significant increase, double increase from what the um, state provided the region last time. And that's actually due to a bill that was introduced by Senator Scott Wiener, um, Senate Bill 828, that changed the way that the state calculates the allocation. And, and the reason is because our state has been underproducing housing for decades, and we need to more accurately distribute housing need throughout our region so local governments can rezone and to allow more housing production in their communities. And that's the next step of the process. After we complete the, um, the RENA process, local governments will have to update their housing elements to show that they have adequate sites and zoning to enable the construction of the units assigned. And one key change this time is that if cities don't uh, meet the arena targets, Senate Bill 35 will grant ministerial review or staff level approval of housing projects. Um, and so that will actually take elected officials like myself um, out of the process of deciding whether housing should be built and will um, require that planners have to give permits over the counter. And that's a big change. That's and so in practice, what we think that would mean would mean that places that don't meet their targets essentially would have uh, developers be able to build housing much more quickly and without um, having to fight local opposition. Yes. And, you know, I think that's a recognition that the status quo is not working and that, you know, we need to streamline production. We need to build more housing to address our statewide crisis. And the crisis is more acute here in the San Francisco Bay Area. And yeah. I think it was yesterday, the Chronicle reported that uh, 56 percent of residents surveyed are thinking about moving out of the region due to the high cost of housing. This impacts our economy, this impacts our homeless crisis, this impacts our climate crisis. This is, I think, a moral obligation for us to provide housing for all people in our region. Yeah. J.K. Deneen, uh, Chronicle housing reporter, talk to me about how these RENA allocations, ha at least in the past, have played out in the real world. Like, how does a city actually use this to you know, design their housing plan and, and put zoning into place across the city? I mean, in past cycles, it hasn't really had very much impact at all. Um, 
municipalities have gotten away with uh, murder, basically, as far as um, uh, coming up with a lot of um, fake. I mean, there there have been um, housing allocated for cemeteries for for quarries where you know old quarries where where you could never actually build housing for golf courses, um, and uh, and so just the housing has has just existed really uh, on paper and not in real life. I mean, what's changed um, as the mayor indicated is that um, there have been a number of laws passed in the last few years, uh, particularly some by uh, State Senator Scott Weiner from San Francisco that have really put a lot of teeth into, uh, into the requirements. And so this time around, um, if all goes um, as uh, ABAG and, and Senator uh, Weiner uh, expects, um, there will be real uh, penalties for not meeting your requirements. Um, uh, like the mayor said, loss, you know, streamlined ministerial approval um, uh, there's some financial penalties, there's loss of, you know, permitting authority. In some cases, um, uh, even there, there could be a, a situation where if a, if a, uh, municipality was particularly egregious and not meeting its goals, it could go into receivership. The state could, could come in, um, and, and kind of take over, um, so, um, but we'll see. I mean, there's already indication there's, there's been complaints by pro-housing activists in Southern California and Imperial Beach in La Mesa that, that, um, that some of the, the, the plans, uh, housing element plans that, that those places came up with um, uh, did, did concentrate housing in poor neighborhoods and did uh, include um, uh, sort of unrealistic sites um, where, where housing is unlikely to be built. Um, and so uh, will that happen in the Bay Area? I don't know. Mayor Adegin, is how are the cities responding to this? Like, are people just taking their allotments and saying, OK, we know we need to do our part in this housing crisis? Or are people coming back to you and saying, hey, actually, this seems like a, a little much housing for us? I would say both. Um, I think a lot of cities have decided not to appeal their numbers, including Berkeley. Um, and in Berkeley, we re- recognize the need for us to address the, the regional demand for housing. Um, but we've heard from many cities that while they are not appealing their numbers, they're concerned about their ability to meet their targets because either they, they don't think they have enough land to be able to rezone to accommodate the additional density. Um, they're concerned about the penalties involved and not meeting RENA targets. And then there are 28 jurisdictions which have appealed the RENA targets to ABAG. We actually have a hearing tomorrow. We're going to be hearing from several Marin County jurisdictions. And, um, you know, we have actually granted, I think, only one appeal so far, and that was really a technical issue. Um, a lot of the arguments are, you know, people don't like the methodology that ABAG developed. People are concerned about access to water, COVID, um, and the state pretty narrowly constrains what we can consider when we consider these appeals. And so, you know, for the most part, local governments will have to implement these numbers. And so it's going to be critical that we work with them to provide them the resources for them to update their housing elements and, and also to provide the, the funding for them to build the affordable housing. Because that's one thing we hear is you're asking us to have to plan for, you know, thousands of units of affordable housing, but how are we going to finance that? Yeah. And that's a very important question. I think something we're going to have to address regionally as well. You know, it's also the housing allotments are broken down by 
income level. Like you got to build housing for you know very low incomes, et cetera. Um, in the past, we've done okay on market rate housing, at least in some places. It's really been the affordable housing that has really lagged. So are there incentives, not just you know sticks, are there carrots in this as well to get people to do that? Well, um, I, I think that's something that we need to work to expand. Uh, well, one thing, if you don't have a compliant housing element, you could be ineligible for certain state housing funds and other infrastructure and transportation grants. So that is also one disincentive that local governments have to actually update their housing elements and, and implement these numbers. Um, you know, at ABAG, we're actually in conversation around a future regional housing measure um, to either a bond or tax to be able hmm. to provide you know, millions and millions of dollars for local governments and nonprofits to build and preserve affordable housing. Because we recognize that, um, first of all, many local governments um, have tried to pass ballot measures and have been unsuccessful. And secondly, you know, our shortage of affordable housing is significant, and we need to provide significantly more resources if we're going to preserve existing affordable housing, prevent displacement, and expand the supply of affordable housing. So I think that's an area where the state can do more. That's an area we, we can do more regionally, and that's something we're, we're actually already working to try to achieve. We're talking about California's new housing targets with Jesse Areguin, mayor of City of Berkeley and president of the Association of Bay Area Governments, as well as J.K. Deneen, a Bay Area housing reporter with the San Francisco Chronicle. And we'd like to hear from you. Where would you like to see more housing built in your city? What questions do you have about how future housing is planned? Give us a call now, 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum, or you can email your questions and comments to forum at kqed.org. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more Forum after the break. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about California's new housing targets with J.K. Deneen, Bay Area housing reporter with the San Francisco Chronicle, Jesse Aragin, mayor of the city of Berkeley and president of the Association of Bay Area Governments. And I'd like to add Shejuthi Hossein, uh, who's a lawyer for Public Advocates, a nonprofit law firm and advocacy organization, uh, into our conversation. Welcome to the show. Oh, okay. Don't have her quite yet. I wanted to turn the conversation to sort of the, the questions of equity that uh, the mayor brought up. J.K., how do how do cities fare when it comes to building lower uh, cost housing? Like, is there any place that's a sort of model that's actually getting lower cost and uh, and, and low income housing built? Um. I mean, very few. I mean, I think San Francisco does a pretty good job, but still falls well short of its goals. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, just the cost of, uh, yeah, I mean, there's opposition to affordable housing, there's lack of land, there's uh, political resistance, there's 
difficulty now that it's very competitive um, statewide with with getting tax credits um, and and uh, low income affordable housing bonds. Um, a lot of different uh, parts of the state are competing for the same dollars there for affordable housing and and. The Bay Area, where it's twice as expensive to build as many other parts of the state, like the Central Valley, uh, doesn't fare too well when the state is trying to figure out uh, how to allocate those resources. More and more of that money is is going to lower cost um, communities. Mm -hmm. so, so that's a problem. Um, is there anybody? Yeah. Tell me there's some city in the Bay Area that's doing a good job. Uh, Berkeley. No, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I do think, you know, the, the Bay Area, it does a lot better than, than, um, uh, than most parts of the country. I mean, um, but it's still not enough, uh, obviously, based on uh, how expensive it is to live here. Yeah. Um, you know, and the goals are high. Um, and it's very unlikely that, you know, that San Francisco is going to be able to 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 meet those goals, which means that um, that really there is a good chance that you know by 2024, 2025, when we're into this next arena cycle, that we will be short. That most communities in the Bay Area will be well short of their goals, and it will become a lot easier for developers, mm -hmm. both affordable and market rate, to basically bypass the the heavily political price uh, process, process that yeah. we're all used to and just you know go to a counter at the building department and say you know i've got this project it it meets zoning it's this percent affordable and uh you Boom, know they won't go. even have to right. go to the planning commission yeah um so the neighborhoods will be um will be cut out of the process yeah. uh we do now have shejuthi hossein lawyer with public advocates on the line welcome to the show Hi, thanks for having me. Hey. So I wanted to um, talk to you specifically about the impact that we hope or feel RENA could have on racial segregation in the Bay Area. We've talked about it in the past. It's, it remains very high uh, in the Bay Area, racial segregation. Um, so do you think this process can do something about that? Yes, absolutely. And it's actually legally required to do that now, along with the other legislative changes you mentioned earlier. Um, one new requirement is that this regional plan affirmatively furthers fair housing. And that basically means that it must actively take steps to address racial segregation. And it's really key right now because the Bay Area is more racially segregated today than it was in 1970. Wow. And so... Uh, are there other ways that you've been attacking this problem and how would this process sort of fit into those? Yes. So this process would fit in by um, encouraging, oh, requiring more cities and counties, especially the ones that are predominantly white and wealthy, to plan for more affordable housing in their cities. And these are the cities um, that are mainly in the suburbs and have historically resisted affordable housing. Um, and due to systemic racism, um, the people who are more in need of affordable housing um, are more likely to be Black, Latinx, Indigenous, and other people of color. And so public advocates and our partners will be monitoring the local housing elements, which will come after this regional plan to make sure that they're also following their legal duty to address racial segregation within their city and county. Yeah. Uh, before we let you go, um, people who care about residential racial segregation, what should we be watching as this process plays out over the next couple of years? Like, what are the numbers that you're going to be looking at to say like, oh, okay, these people are doing a good job, these people are not? 
We'll be looking at the lower income allocations in the regional housing needs allocation to see if those cities and counties are actually meeting them. Um, so people who care should tell their city council members, their mayors, their county supervisors that they need to take this legal obligation to address racial segregation seriously and to make sure that they're making room for more affordable housing in their cities and counties. Awesome. All right. Thank you so much, Ajuthi Hossein, lawyer with Public Advocates. Thanks for joining us this morning. Want to add Teddy from Berkeley into our conversation? Welcome to the show. Hello. Hi. Welcome. I'd like, I'd like to ask the question: How much of an impact can the missing middle housing concept help with eliminating or or attacking uh, the the paucity of of um, home building? In, in other words, now it's allowable to build multi-units or up to six, I think it is, units on a single-family lot. Can that make a dent in the 441,000 units that are needed? That's my question. I'll take it off the air. Wonderful. Thank you, Teddy. Mayor Argin, how about you? Well, I believe it can definitely make an impact. SB9 will certainly have an impact in helping local governments meet their arena numbers. You know, some cities, they don't have a lot of of commercial sites. And so they're going to have to look at adding things like ADUs, looking at building missing middle housing, allowing multifamily housing in residential neighborhoods. Just going back on the issue of addressing uh, racial segregation, in Berkeley, we actually passed a resolution earlier this year to say that we want to end exclusionary zoning and allow multifamily housing in every part of our city. And we think this is going to be critical for our city to not only meet our arena targets, but also to address um, our history of racial segregation. I want to get to a listener comment here. Uh, We have a listener writes, cities do not build housing. Developers build housing. Rena has zero to do with building housing. It only has to do with getting cities to zone for housing. Rena may help stop cities from blocking housing developments. But the real housing problem is that most people cannot afford what it costs developers to build housing. And to talk about this uh, both historically and today, I'd like to add Chris Elmendorf, a professor at UC Davis School of Law, into our conversation. Welcome, Chris. Hi, it's very nice to be here. So talk to me about this historically. I mean, you've researched how housing elements are implemented, and I think you found uh, that less than 10 percent of housing element plans actually result in homes being built. So what can we say about that historically? And do we think anything has changed now? Yeah, let me let me restate that slightly. Sure. So the traditional model of the housing element is that a city identifies a few sites which it says are good for housing. And then it zones those sites at densities uh, that the state says are adequate for affordable housing. And then uh, everybody pretends that it's just going to work. And then eight years later, um, we do it again. Um, And it turns out- Seems like a great process. (laughs) It turns out if you look at, like I did a study um, with colleagues looking at all of the sites that Bay Area cities picked at the start of the last cycle. And fewer than 10% of those sites are going to be developed during this planning period, during this eight-year period. However, there's a lot of development. I mean, not enough, (laughs) but of the development that does take place, most of it, about 70%, is on other sites. So the notion that we can figure out whether a city has a good plan for housing by just looking at a handful of sites that a city declares are good for housing, um, uh, that's a mistake. That's a big mistake. Um, And Los Angeles during this current cycle is taking a very different and much more sensible approach. 
what Los what, Angeles is yeah, doing is do? it's looking at every single site in the city whose zoning allows residential use. And then it's saying, based on historical experience, what do we think the probability is that that site will be developed during the next eight years? <laughs> and applying this, this historically informed approach, the city concludes that its nominal zoning, that is what's allowed on paper, um, is sufficient to accommodate the entire 1.4 million unit allocation for the Southern California region. Yet in terms of what's actually likely to be developed, that 1.4 million units of nominal capacity translates into about 50,000 units of hmm. realistic capacity. So the city in fact has to do a lot more zoning or it has to change other barriers to development um, so as to increase the rate at which sites get developed. Mayor Adegin, uh, Professor Elmendorf here is sort of contrasting the Southern California approach with the Northern California approach. Talk to me about how, how you think about what Los Angeles did and why we're not doing that up here if we're not. Well, what we're seeing in Southern California is, frankly, shell games and sleight of hand by some local governments. Um, some cities have already been sued by the state for su submitting deficient housing elements. And, um, you know, that's concerning. You know, we want to make sure that, you know, the, the arena allocations that we adopt, that the state is requiring that we implement, that they actually are being implemented by local governments. And so I do agree with the comment that, you know, builders do build housing, but it is up to cities to be able to um, zone for sites for builders to build housing. And um, and then streamlining the process certainly enables housing to be built. So, you know, we're, cities are gonna have to look at every possible site with, with, uh, with the exception of some constraints. You know, high hazard fire areas are, are you know, could be exempt. You know, some areas are not appropriate to build and are going to have to look at, you know, whether they can accommodate additional housing. And it's going to mean different things for different cities. And in a city like Berkeley, it's going to mean we're going to build around our BART stations and our downtown along our corridors. In a city like um, Sausalito, it may mean that they build in their commercial core and have some modest density in their residential neighborhoods. That's the job of local governments to take the numbers and then and then have a community process to decide how to do that. And um, that's the work that we're all gonna be engaged in over the next year. If, if I might uh, jump in here, um, Sausalito I think is an interesting case because out of all of the Bay Area communities, they asked um, for the biggest reduction in their arena numbers, I believe it was yes. 83%. Um, and Sausalito is, is uh, they have a, a big working waterfront which is protected from residential development I think nobody wanted to see a bunch of, you know, $2 million condos down on the working waterfront where people build boats and paint boats and fix engines and, and do all kinds of, of stuff that, that creates uh, blue collar jobs. Um, but uh, there's other parts of that working waterfront that is, um, that's, you know, used for storage or parking lots or, you know, uh, where a bunch of airstreams might be, be parked and, um, or, or self-storage. Um, and, and so Sausalito's looking right now at, at, at revising its waterfront plan um, to, to, to see if some of, maybe some of that waterfront could be zoned uh, for housing, and in, in particular affordable housing, because that, um, you know, Sausalito was, a, was a, a place where, where thousands of African-Americans um, worked uh, during World War II 
uh, building liberty ships. Yeah, Marin ship, um, yeah. And, and they weren't, you know, because of redlining, were not allowed to live there. You know, they, they lived, um, you know, blacks could, could, could only live in Marin City. Um, and, uh, and so, I mean, I, I think that they're, that they're, Sausalito is having a, a real, um, you know, hard, taking a hard look at its history, uh, and at some of that waterfront zoning to, to see where maybe, um, uh, there, there could be some, some affordable housing added. Thank you, J.K. Deneen, Bay Area housing reporter for the Chronicle. Um, want to add Jacqueline, since we're talking about Sausalito, Jacqueline and Sausalito, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much. So appreciate the conversation. I think it was the mayor who mentioned that local control will help in terms of guiding where the housing should be. My understanding is that some of the legislation that has recently been passed, SB 910, takes away local control. And so that's part of my a comment and a question. And also I'm concerned about the environmental impacts, also impacts on our infrastructure. We're in a drought. Um, there's also, you know, our sewage systems need updating. There's so many things I could go into. And then there's the whole piece about um, just who's funding this and, and how is it, how will it be funding and how does building more housing equal lower prices? I haven't seen that work anywhere else in, in really in the world. You know, Jacqueline, I think my, I, I, I take all these concerns. I think the question is, what's the alternative here? Um, do you do you see an alternative to the to trying to build more low income housing um, across the region? I'm all for building affordable and low cost housing. I don't see these bills addressing that particular issue at all. Um, I think the way it's being interpreted, at least in my community, is it seems it's a real bonus for developers to build high cost housing and more housing, not low-cost or affordable housing. Yeah. Let's take it to the mayor, Mayor Adegin, and actually, really, uh, as in your role as president of, of ABAG, what's going on in Sausalito? You know, they asked for a, a big reduction in their housing allotment already. Um, tell, tell us about how you see the situation there, and specifically, if you could focus on how many low-income or affordable housing units um, are supposed to go to Sausalito. Uh, you know, I'd have to look up the their numbers. Um, um, my understanding is um, they did ask for a pretty significant reduction in their arena targets. Actually, I have the numbers right here. Their arena goal was 724 units. The requested decrease was 599 units. Um, and, and like I said, I think it's going to be up to each local jurisdiction to decide where, where and how they're going to build. I will say that, you know, we all we all have a responsibility as a region to address this housing crisis. This isn't just a Berkeley crisis, a San Francisco crisis, or a, a San Jose crisis. And we're expecting 4 million more people to come to the San Francisco Bay Area region. Where are they going to live? And so we all have a responsibility to do our part to address the existing shortage, let alone the new shortage that we're going to be facing in the San Francisco Bay Area. Obviously, we need to do more to address the affordability crisis, the homeless crisis. That's where things like the Bay Area Housing Financing Authority that we launched is going to be a game changer, putting on putting on a, a regional bond on the ballot to be able to generate billions of dollars of funding to create affordable housing. But you know, we need local governments to do their part to enable that housing to be built. And that's really a key part of the whole RENA process. And you know, we look forward to supporting Salsalito in their work to update their housing element, to identify appropriate sites, 
so that we can um, support them as they're uh, implementing these new numbers. Chris Elmendorf, professor at uh, UC Davis, just really quickly, historically, is there anybody who has done this well? Is there a model to emulate just in our last like 30 seconds here? Um, not in California, but there are plenty of regions of the country that grow fast and have inexpensive housing. Um, the big challenge is not how do you grow fast and have inexpensive housing? Uh, that's easy to do if you allow sprawl development and have uh, a very lenient regime of impact fees and, and other development requirements. Um, the big challenge for California is, is there a way that we can grow fast um, and thus become affordable without sprawling? And I think it's very much an open question whether we'll be able to do that. And I think the sensibilities that you heard from the commentator from Sausalito are indicative of our, of our difficulties. We've been talking about California's new housing targets, and we also hope you now care about RENA and will pay attention to this process. We've been joined by Chris Elmendorf, professor at the University of California Davis School of Law, Jesse Adegin, mayor of the city of Berkeley, as well as the president of ABAG, which has a big role in this process. And we also have J.K. Deneen, Bay Area housing reporter with the San Francisco Chronicle. Thank you so much to all three of you. Stay tuned for more Forum after the break. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum, When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Hey, John Favreau here. There's no shortage of political takes in 2024, but quantity doesn't cut it. We need a better conversation about the latest biggest election of our lives. On Pod Save America, me and my co-host cut through the noise to help you figure out what matters and how you can help. Every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday, Pod Save America is breaking down the political news that makes us laugh, cry, and snap our laptops in half. Expensive year for laptops. Make sure to check out new episodes of Pod Save America on your favorite podcast platform or our YouTube channel now.